Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are talking about another brilliant result for Aston Villa and ask what happened to last season's treble winners, Manchester City. We'll also be talking about Arsenal, Luton, Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest, Manchester United and Chelsea. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, a former striker who not only played for Aston Villa, but has spent the past few weeks saying they're going to reach the top four. Tony Cascarino, what a clever lad you are. Uh, and also a former defender who not only began his career at Nottingham Forest, but has spent the last two seasons pretty much that saying you're always worried about Steve Cooper. Uh, maybe you'll finally be proved right. Gregor Robertson is with us as usual. But gentlemen, we've got to start at Villa Park and a 14th home win against the current champions for Unai Emery's side. Never mind top four. Martin... Have we got to consider Villa's title contenders, do you think? I think any team, once you get past that Christmas period, I think any team that is in that mix, you, you can, it, it come, there comes a time when you've got to consider them. There came a time when we'd spent all season ignoring Leicester and thinking, oh, well, this is, this is you know, they're just going to come back into the pack. And then the, the first stage is to look at a team and think, well, they could actually finish in the top four. So there was a period when you looked at Leicester and thought, well, this is a potential top four team. And then I think around about the time they beat Manchester City, um, you looked at them and thought, well, actually, we, we, we can't keep ignoring them as, as title contenders. I think Villa are at stage two of that already. Right. Because I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. Um, that they are a top four team at the end of the season, come May, that they, they've qualified for the Champions League. Um, and the next, let's say, six weeks, mm. if if you're within three or four points of the top, or, you know, if you are where they are now in January and the points difference isn't 12 points or 10 points or whatever, then you're title contenders, uh, you know, by the end of January, I think. Um, and they're good. And you look at Unai Emery, what a good manager. He's always looked a good manager, apart from at one place, which was Arsenal, towards the end. And you do wonder if he'd have got the support, maybe, that Arteta has got, uh, has had, whether he might have been able to do something like that with Arsenal as well. Because when he left, and uh, you know, I was among those that were very sceptical about what he said when he, he left about, oh, I didn't get this and I didn't get that. And you think, well, yeah. say it at the time, mate, cut up rough at the <laughs> time, not after it's all gone on, on, gone wrong. But he left, he left with a long list of um, accusations would be the wrong word because he's a very mild-mannered guy, but he left with a, you know, sort of a, a bit of a gripe list of, mm. well, I asked for this, but I got this, and I asked mm. for that, but I got someone else instead. And you think, well, maybe if they'd listened to him a bit more at Arsenal, everything that everyone's so excited about with Mikel Arteta might have happened a few years mm. earlier. The man's a good manager. Yeah, Tony, the man's a very good manager. you've said that Villa are going to finish above Tottenham and other teams when it comes to that top four. Mm. What do you think about the idea of them being title contenders as well? Well, as, as Martin touched on there, the Leicester example is a great one because they did go toe-to-toe and Josie's last game was when they lost at mm. Leicester. Mm. Um, and I remember that night thinking, oh, they really beat Chelsea up. Mm. And they went toe-to-toe with everybody in the early part of the season. Mm. Second part of the season, they went more clean sheets, a bit more defensive, and got over the line. They didn't lose Danny Drinkwater. I know that sounds incredible because Danny Drinkwater seems like he's anonymous now. Yeah. They didn't lose Mares and they didn't lose Vardy. Mm. Now, I would go McGinn. Can't lose McGinn. 
can't lose Ollie Watkins, obviously. Um, the third one, I'm not so sure. It could be a number Conza, of players. Concert, maybe. Concert, yeah. well, he's been brilliant. Um, but Douglas there's Louise, I think, has been fantastic. Yeah, he's been brilliant at, at that home, role. You know. So there's a few there. What excites me about Villa, and I, I watched the game early this morning because I saw the goals, but I knew we'd talk about Villa because I was watching Sheffield versus Liverpool last night, and was that they're defending on the halfway line against the quickest or one of the quickest footballers in world football. Well, I hate going back in time, but I will do because we played Kevin Moran and Mick McCarthy as two centre-halves who sat on that halfway line and literally everybody was in front to press and get it and win. Now, there's beaten 1-0 and we could go, oh, well, you know, City had enough chances. They, you know, they didn't take their chances. That wasn't that last night. Mm. This was a pounding. They were wobbling for a long time in the game, City. They were wobbling. You could see it. Now, I think there were, there was a, their success has come a consequence of, and it's something you can, we could all look at and go, there's about eight to ten teams now that will all play on the front foot. Whether it's Bournemouth, whether it's Gary O'Neill's uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, whether it's Eddie Howe's Newcastle, whether it's Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool, Villa. You can go on. There's a lot of teams who are playing high-risk football, but all in the opposition's half. Mm. And City were... I mean, look, I didn't like the midfield of City last night. I, I was thinking the game... How's Calvin Phillips not in this team? Yeah. Why? What has he done wrong, or what has he not done that we don't know? Because to see a Kanji in there, he's nowhere near a Rodri. No, Ro no. not even close. <laughs> he's a centre half who cannot step into midfield. Yeah. What John Stones well, does. I want to come back to City in Sorry. a minute, but just because it's an excellent point. But just to finish on Villa, Gregor, um, Charlotte Dunker in her match report talked about some some of the things that the chaps have already said. You know, says that um, Villa showed silk and steel to beat City. What what is it that you think that Unai Emery does best? Is is it that he kind of neutralizes opponents first and then beats them, or is it that actually they should be seen as a team that dominates, even teams like City? I would say it's the, it's the variety of their play. Actually, I think they're so you know tactically intelligent. The way you know as Tony said, they're pressing high. I think they won won about thirteen times in the in mm. City's third last uh, last night. But then they they also. You wouldn't say that that's all they do. They often they can often sit in a kind of a mid block or a low block, and you know pick the moments to go and press, and then they're they're lightning on the break as well, and then they can also you see them play it from the back and like play really incisive passes, often through the centre of the pitch. You know they you know, the fullbacks will go high and wide, but it's kind of stretch and play, and then they try and try and play really incisive passes through the pitch and really direct. So I think it's the variety. Mm. I think, and that makes them quite a, you know, a tough proposition for any team. Um, and you know, Hamza's piece during the week about the about the high defensive line. That's that's remarkable to watch as well. So when you you know, you've said it's given you jitters in the past though as oh, a former I mean, defender. <laughs> you watch them and then you, th you, so many times you just think you you watch them running back and you're thinking, is, a, is an offside flag going to come? Is it going to come? <laughs> is it going to come? <laughs> they must be as well. But then. The number of times as well, Ezri Konsa, Matty Cash, who are lightning quick, mm. can make those recovery runs and make tackles. They, it, it's really, really you know high risk strategy, but they're good at it and they're so well drilled. I don't know. If, I would advise anyone to read that piece that Hamza wrote um, on the website. And there's a there's a couple of pictures in it which are just extraordinary mm. pictures, extraordinary images because you see, you know, a line of Villa players in exactly the same body shape, all 
you know, playing the offside line, preparing to move backwards, you know, on you know, weight on one foot, looking at the ball. It's it's an amazing image, and that just kind of underlines that in that one image, the sort of detail and work that Emery does in training and sort of drilling them and it's we're seeing the evidence of it now Should they be considered in the same way and like that we're viewing Tottenham and Ange Postacoglu this season as our kind of exciting breath of fresh air everyone's favourite other team a Villa a Villa on that level actually and that maybe Emery's done a bit more quieter job and well, now we're realising how good they are Yeah and look, look um, people from outside London say that London managers and London clubs get a disproportionate sort of shout because the, the, you know the media is largely based in London and and and, uh, and I can understand that because there has been an awful lot of fuss made about um, Postacoglu at Tottenham and, and understandably so I do understand that a lot less made about Aston Villa because they're in a part of the country that traditionally isn't very fashionable for football. It was at one stage, but it, it isn't so much now. And there's a lot of focus in the northwest. There's a lot of focus in London. So something good that's happening in the Midlands tends to go a little bit under the radar, mm. like their music in the 1960s. <laughs> have, a look at their, have a look at the bands that came out of Birmingham in, in the 1960s. Great bands. Great bands came out. The move and, and people were like, great bands came out of Birmingham. Um... But you never hear about the Birmingham scene or, or anything in the in the 1960s. But there were great bands coming out of Birmingham. See, one of my biggest regrets in my my career was leaving Villa. I really? was really mm. gutted when I left Villa. I loved it as a club. It was mm. a great football club, and obviously I knew a lot of the players that won the European Cup because they they lived. A couple of them, Tony Morley, lived around the corner from me. So did uh, Golden Cowans, and I know that club so well. Even though I was there, what 18 months and. It's a rocking, honestly, go there. It's rocking when it's on Villa Park. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great, great atmosphere. Yeah. Now, wouldn't it be incredible if Unai Emery was to win the league and Arteta came second? <laughs> Is There's that, an idea. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's sort of, but, but I, I, I spoke to Andy Townsend yesterday, obviously Captain Villa is my old teammate I've known for a long time, and he said he interviewed John McGinn earlier in the week. And he said, John McGinn was saying to you, you need to try the fat chamber, Andy. And he's gone, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, like the old days, the, you get on the scales. We'd all get on the scales and we'd be tested to see where we were. He said, now you go into this chamber and it just basically checks your body fat. So tell her, and he said, you've got to be super fit. You can't do nothing wrong because it gets everything that you've mm. done in it. And he said, and Andy said, well, I'm not sure I want to want to play in this era. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. But, you know, the sort of, and, and he said, you could feel not only is John McGinn a great lad, Obviously, because the, the club, he said, but he also spoke so highly of people around the club mm. that they've got in place, um, which is clear. You know, there is Uno Emery's a really strange manager because I I wasn't so much critical of um, with the the way the Arsenal panned out for him. He was only sacked because of one scenario at PSG. That was winning 4-0 against Barcelona and losing 6-1 away. Mm. That's the mm. only reason he lost that job. Mm. But PSG sacked everybody that gets eliminated from the Champions League. Yeah, I mean we were we were dangerously close to talking about John McGinn's bum then, so I'm going to have to. <laughs> he used it very well again oh, last yeah, night. He did the way he pivots with the ball. He's off he, he brings it in and he spins. It's like I know I was joking about it last night. You weren't joking yeah, about it. You talked about it for about four minutes. And McGinn gonna... was <laughs> McGinn was outstanding again. Yeah. He was absolutely outstanding. He's someone who's been really elevated. It's a mismatch in midfield, though, wasn't it? Greg? Yeah. So well, that brings me back yeah. to the point. We're talking about John McGinn and his bum. Let's move on to the <laughs> midfield debates around Manchester City because Tony, you brought up Calvin Phillips and the kind of team. Do you? We go back. 
back to your point because I interrupted you earlier yeah, about, um, that, about well, that setup and how it's wrong. Well, you know, when you see Rodri's not not in the lineup, you're thinking, well, Calvin Phillips has to step in at this moment, and yes, John Stone's available and he can come into midfield, and you, and then you think, well. I can meet before is is it because he's so far down the pecking order now, isn't he, Calvin Phipps? If he can't mm. get him, Rico Lewis is in front of him. A Kanji's pla- I mean, a Kanji's never a, a, a midfielder for me. He he does a reasonable job as a centre half. He doesn't want to do what John Stones does. And I just thought the mismatch in midfield. It was John McGinn and others. Louise were having a field day, and they were brilliant because their energy was just they overrun that area of the pitch, and it denied City anything going forward you know what was their last shot in the 11th minute was it Man City's last shot in the game in the 11th minute shot coach 22 to 2 it's extraordinary 22 to 2 and I think the last shot of the game for City was in the 11th minute Mm. the the thing with Villa as well is that they almost always have four four midfielders playing narrow in midfield which is unusual and it's not you know so even if you you look at the the way the team's lined up if it's a 4-4-2 the two wide ones are usually playing sort of slightly advanced and inside, almost as like number tens. But they roam a bit, and the fullbacks. Some, you know, he has different yeah. ways of like working. Is that why Pep maybe went with that midfield choice of a quite, of essentially a bunch of defenders in midfield because he was worried about Villa's power. I, I think it could have been, yeah. I mean, like Kamara and Louise are always the ones that sort of sit, and then you've, if you've got Tielemans in, it would be McGinn, kind of. Creating that overload, and they often, and then often they have Dinya pushing high wide, and if if Cash is playing, he, he's high and wide. So they, they, when they're in position, they usually have three at the back. Because like a lot of teams now, and they try and create overloads, but the overloads in midfield are are uh, not many teams have been able to get, you know, to work out how to how to deal with it really. Because as I say, a lot of the time it's about any any little spaces. They're playing a really incisive pass between the lines, and then they're on the turn. That's usually McGinn or you know. If Telemans in this game, sometimes it's, if Jordy's playing, it's him dropping in. But it didn't work for for City last night either. I think you know very rarely you would say that Pep was sort of. It's wrong to say you know tactically out thought, but Villa's game plan absolutely worked, mm. and City couldn't deal with it. Martin on City on Monday mm-hmm. show we were talking about a kind of run of games that had been a bit worrying for Pep Guardiola, and Charlotte was saying that the Manchester press pack had been saying this is some of the worst performances for a long time. Is is there something wrong? Is there something going wrong at City, or are we just going to come back to saying, "Oh well, they've got not got Kevin De Bruyne"? No, it's it's more than that. They haven't got Gundogan uh, as well, who was hugely influential for them last season. They haven't got Riyad Mahrez, who people thought was on the periphery, but if you look at how many games he started last season, you know he starts as many as Jack Grealish or whatever, and, and he and he alternated, you know, with these with these forward line, it gives them this variety. Um, and they've got Doku in instead, um, and and folding in a different role, and they're, and they're they're still a fabulous team. But I am inclined to agree um, with something that Pep Guardiola said in the week when he was very much you know, sort of quite defensive and surprisingly so, as if he cares what what anyone thinks about his <laughs> team. But he obviously does, and sort of hit back at um, people who were saying that they were perhaps complacent or whatever. But the point he makes is a, is a genuine one. There is a reason why no team has ever won the league more than three times in succession. And it's because it's very, very hard. Um, now, <laughs> we can argue on 
the difference, you know, some people say, oh, it's very hard because players get complacent, but you could equally argue it's very hard because it's absolutely exhausting mm. to perform at that level for four consecutive seasons, to be the best team for four seasons. There's a reason it's never happened in, in our, our league. And you can you go back to the last century and the century before that. Mm. No one's ever done it more than three times. Teams do it three times and and that's it. Um Plus, it's a treble-winning season as well. So, that's exhausting. Then they lose players. They haven't got that bigger squad. This thing of, oh, Man City, buy everyone or whatever. Well, actually, if you look at Manchester City's squad, you get to a certain level and it's all quality, quality, quality. And then it's young kids, mm. basically. And then you, it's kids. Do you think... I remember reading Roy Keane's book and him talking about Manchester United after they had won their treble mm. and his feelings about some of the squad dipping a little in terms of their intensity do we think we can level any of those accusations at City players well I'm not sure you can level them at Manchester United they won the league they won it by 18 points that season well Roy Keane did (laughs) it's quite incredible that shows you something about that Manchester United team because after they won the treble they didn't win the Champions League the following season but they won the league by eighteen points. It yeah. was a record. It was a record points difference. But do you think um, any city players are dipping? Ba- a, 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 a treble hangover. On, a treble hangover. A little. Uh, what in terms of not wanting to put it in? I, I don't know whether they think it, it's almost like a, a mentality where they caught Arsenal from such a long way yeah. back last year. You do wonder whether there's that sort of feeling that you don't quite have to kick in, that you can ease yourself into the season. Look, it's going to come right. We're going to, we'll go on a run of 25 winning matches and, and, and then we'll just gradually claw everyone back in. The problem they've got is they're not just t- chasing one team anymore. Yeah. Even if even if we are cynical about Aston Villa and say, oh, well, maybe Aston Villa won't be able to sustain it. OK, well, let's park that for one second. You've still got Arsenal. OK, well, we caught Arsenal last year when it mm. came to it. You've got Liverpool. Mm. Now, that's a manager that's done it. Mo Salah's done it. Trent's done it. Uh, Virgil van Dijk's done it. I know there's a lot of new players in there as well, but that is a club that has won the Premier yeah. League very, very recently. You know, and now you've, you've, you've got to rely on two teams stuffing up in that yeah. Final, yeah. final stretch, not just one. You know, you'd look at the league table if you were Manchester City and think... We've we've got our work cut out already. We've got our we've got our work cut out. We've got to claw Arsenal. We've got to rein Arsenal in. We've got to rein Liverpool in, and that's before any wild cards that that might be coming in on your up on your shoulders. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I mean. Well, they lost two of the final twenty three games last season. Mm-hmm. The twenty three games. See, last they've been, they've just listened to Gregor on the podcast. I, like, for the I last always few years. I just um, <laughs> I always start from the viewpoint of they make you look silly every year. When we yeah. have this conversation, but having said that, having said that, mm. there is something. Something feels a little bit different this, this year, and I agree with Martin. What is is, they're not, they're not a team full of kind of serial winners who've who've experienced this mm. already. Mm. There, there still are some, but they've lost some mm. that were part of that group that that did it year they after didn't year. Know how to lose. Yeah. See, in the I, end, didn't know how something's to lose. changed. You, that way. you said there about players. I mean, the ones that have not played nowhere near as well as last year is Akanji, he's not been nowhere near as good, and Diaz. Diaz has been way off it. Mm. Guardiola mm. was coming at left back and has found it tricky. Mm. You know, you'd think Nathan Aki would probably be their best option at left back. Midfield, 
They've had Rodri missing for a number of games, mm. which and comes never a bit the same team whenever Rodri No, not never the same. Rodri is the heartbeat of their team, as in for what he does off the ball and mm. winning the ball back for the side. And obviously, I mean, it's so obvious that Kevin De Bruyne just absolutely can take things apart on the opposition. Like, watching last night's game, you'd think Kevin De Bruyne could, in one moment, just hurt Villa. Mm. You know, by one ball... You know, mm. and Haaland benefited enormously mm. from watching mm. Haaland last night after 11 minutes when he had his final chance. That was it. I mean, they'd done a, I say they'd done a number, but they could never get the forwards of the ball to Foden or Haaland. Mm. Uh, Alvarez as well, you know, yeah. like they, they just didn't get the ball because they couldn't get it in midfield. And it was just that if we're looking at numbers, we always say possession is always going to be dominated by City. Yeah. Yeah. Last night. That's the one thing that yeah. wasn't dominated by City. And if it was when they had it, it was in areas that never Villa even even tried to get it back off them. Yeah, well, we'll have to see uh, Manchester City away at Luton this weekend. And Luton, of course, uh, getting a bit of a reputation for giving the big sides a bit of a run for their money at Kenilth Road. They did it this week against Arsenal. But Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, not only top of the tables, but still finding ways to win. Uh, I obviously mentioned on Monday's show that we quietly keep talking about Arsenal still being top of the table. Uh, and Alex, who's a listener, got in touch to say, I think they're going to win it this season. So maybe the confidence is high. I've only got one question, actually, on Arsenal. Uh is Declan Rice going to be the first footballer to cost a million pounds or more and be considered a bargain? Martin. A million pounds. He's a bargain we'll, we'll at a million. We'll go back to Gerard yeah. Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Days, yeah. He's very good at a million, but he's even better Steve at a hundred million. Yeah. I remember him. Steve yeah, it was Daly. Steve Daly. Yeah, million. I uh, Wolves and uh, Man City. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a GoFundMe page, isn't there, for, by, set up by Arsenal fans to pay West Ham what, uh, they actually should have got for Declan Rice, you know, which I think is quite amusing. Uh, I'm not sure many West Ham fans will think that's quite amusing. But mm-hmm. um, he it, is so much better than the other two hundred million pound players in central midfield are looking at the moment. I in his position, I mean, in, in terms of Caicedo and Fernandez at Chelsea, you look at Declan Rice and think, well, he's worth whatever they paid the two of them put together um, because of what the man is doing for Arsenal. Um, he scored two goals in the last minute, hasn't he, to um, to win games for them, uh, which is above and beyond what is it, you know what you'd expect him to do. Because if you look at West Ham, in a strange way, West Ham have benefited from Thomas Suchek going into the forward mm. position that Declan Rice was trying to play more of last season, but not scoring the level of goals that Thomas Suchek will, will get for you. So it, 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 you know, that shows you the benefit of being in a better team, basically, that he, he, he now is scoring goals more. But it is a tremendous signing. If Arsenal win the league, it's because they signed Declan Rice. Do you think it's the physical attributes that he brings, his actual performance as a footballer, or is it... A- more his mentality as a player and his leadership personality I think it's both I think it's both I mean he's a good footballer but he's a he's yeah. strong mentally yeah he's well. like he, dra- he, he he drags a team forward he's mm. he grabs a game by the scruff of the neck all those kind of cliches but mm. it's true it's like it's not it's not necessarily always the tangible things like a last minute winner like that mm. it's yeah. just it's his it's his nature yeah. and what that what that the effect that has on the team he's someone that it lifts everyone around them. Yeah. So that you know that's that's priceless. How interesting do we think it is that idea? Because he was highly rated for a long time, and mm. Martin, obviously, you're a West Ham fan. 
but that that growth that he did at West Ham and becoming captain and then winning um, the Conference League. Now we're talking about these traits as personality strengths. Mm. How important is that that we think about you know young players because sometimes they move too early. Yeah. Sometimes they move at the wrong time. Everyone knew what West Ham. Everyone at West Ham knew what they had in Declan Rice. You know, there 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 is not a single person that was watching West Ham that didn't think that 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 he was the, he was this player that this is what he could he could bring um to another team i always wondered about him being a 100 million pounds player simply because you don't see too many 100 million pound midfield players who don't score goals mm. until this summer when suddenly there's there's loads of 100 million pound players that don't score goals which is quite strange but i always thought you know that could that could be an issue because i think declan wanted to be a 100 million pound player and i think that was partly why he wanted to play further forward uh, last season because he could see that was the way for him to get this this this, very, this top move but he was a fantastic captain for West Ham he was one of those guys that always stood up whatever the performance was like always came in afterwards always fronted up even his um, even the way he spoke after the Conference League final he was given ample opportunity to say, well, that's my farewell game or whatever. Didn't say it. Mm. Didn't say it. Let everyone have their... Let, mm. let everyone have the night. Let everyone have the night, you know, and, and, and him as well. It's actually the owner the following day who mm. is the first one to say, well, yeah, Declan Rice right. is on his... You know, Declan Rice <laughs> yeah. is on his way. Declan doesn't yeah. say it. Yeah. I, I, I remember writing a piece a few years back about... I was championing Cal- championing Calvin Phillips being included in the mm. England squad mm. when he was playing in the Championship for Leeds, and I spoke a lot. I compared him a little bit disparagingly to like <laughs> spoke a little bit disparagingly of of Rice, and saying like, "No, who, who are you going to include instead, Rice?" I didn't see this. Like I saw, right, I saw yeah. that he was, you know, a really talented footballer. I saw that, but you know, for the kind of player that England were looking for too, you know, still mm. they're longing for this sort of controlling maestro midfielder. Mm. And he's Fair not. Though. He's not that, but. In the same way I speak about Jude Bellingham, the word I always use is the impact he has on a game. It's the same. Mm-hmm. His impact on a game is unrivaled by like by most players in the Premier League. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we so think yeah. his impact in terms of that personality is bringing, you know, I'm thinking about players like Odegaard maybe who've gone through that season last year where they'll have left it feeling, oh, was that a missed opportunity? You know, we've just been talking about Manchester City and Martin, you Liverpool, players who have done it. Yeah. Does it does it lift your other players who, you know, your Odegaards maybe who are incredibly talented but have maybe got that little bit of doubt in you? Tony, do you think having a Rice character is lifting the other players as well? Well, I think it's unbelievable signing if you're talking about personality like the boys have talked about. You know, I he reminds me of McGrath. Mm. We've all watched mm. McGrath. McGrath, an unbelievable athlete, quicker than people thought, incredible strength, simple things, easy for McGrath, never complicated his game. Declan mm. doesn't complicate his game. Had the ability in the air to get on things sometimes and chip in with goals. Didn't get the numbers like Declan, you know, has been accused of. Not getting a high ratio every year. McGrath didn't. But McGrath, if you ask anyone, you ask Brian Robson, the hardest player to play against, he'd tell you. Mm. Paul McGrath yeah. and, and Declan's got all them qualities but Paul didn't have the personality of Declan he was quite a flawed guy off the field where Declan clearly I like the way he went about the business of going to Arsenal he never ever once last season do you go do you know what he's, a, he's on his holidays he's a, 
West Ham is going to see out the season and just go, thank you very much. He was determined to win the European trophy with his teammates. Every game I watched him, he wasn't worried about getting injured. He was given the absolute commitment. And that says a lot about him. Mm-hmm. So, and choosing Arsenal. You know, he's, don't get, when you're that good, Liverpool would have wanted him. Chelsea probably would have wanted him. City probably would have wanted him. You know, anybody that could afford him at that time, European clubs as well, Everybody in the world wanted Roy Keane mm. at one particular time. He isn't far off of that Declan Rice from, from last summer, you know, um, and watching him go to Arsenal. So, to me, impressed in every way about him. I think, uh, and this is impossible to quantify, this next statement is impossible to quantify, but <laughs> I would say there's two or three teams that had the opportunity to sell, uh, to buy Declan Rice. If those teams had bought Declan Rice, I think they would be at least two places higher, at least two places higher than they are now, and maybe more. Manchester United would would not be where they mm. are now if Declan Rice had been in central midfield. Chelsea, if Chelsea bought Rice instead of Caicedo, they would be at least two places higher than they are now because he would have made the difference in matches. I'm not just talking about goal scoring. I'm making I'm supporting the point that Gregor was making, that Tony was making, that his personality would be different. That Manchester United Chelsea game last night, which, which I watched, you look at Caicedo in the middle there and well he's he's half the player that, uh, he's half the player that Rice looks at the moment. Yeah. Well he we're really gonna is. In, we're that, gonna... in that regard he is a bit of a throwback. Mm. Like they're not yeah. they're not many of these people around. Yeah. Not many players no. now that you look at and they have that effect on their, their teammates. Yeah, well, Declan Rice having a massive impact at the top of the table. We're going to finish part one with a chat about a team at the bottom. Gregor, you were at Fulham to watch uh, them win 5-0 against Nottingham Forest. And apologies, Fulham fans, this is going to be a classic case of we're not going to talk about the team who's won 5-0. Uh, Gregor, on Monday's show, we were talking about Sheffield United and the first sacking of the season. Do we think the second is close, close by? I mean, you wouldn't. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be amazing if not. I think now this, that's the stage we're at because look, they have wolf, they have wolves uh, the weekend, and you know there was a feeling that he probably had to get some kind of result from from one of these games. But then after being routed five 0 he thought it was you know the, the cameras kept cutting to uh, Evangelos Maranakis, the the forest owner in, in the in the executive box. And he cut a furious figure for much of the second half mm. and then stormed out after the fourth goal went in. And uh, according to a picture on social media, which Fulham's uh, press guys kind of they verified the image, he, he, he apparently chucked his accreditation lanyard in a, in a bush of a, lo- of a garden near Craven Cottage. So he obviously stormed out in yeah. a bit of a huff. Mm. It's not uh, a good sign, is it? No. Really? If you're a manager, no. that's not a good sign. No. But he would have heard. Steve Cooper's name being chorused throughout the second half by the away end. Which is interesting given what we discussed on Monday with Charlotte about the home fans who slightly would had turned on him. That's often the case, isn't it? You away fans are the hardcore. Yeah, although I mean, I, 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 I think you could have put that down to frustration from from the result too. I think look, it wasn't a good sign for him, but I still think if you were to take take a kind of poll of Forest fans broadly across the board, they would want him to stay. Uh, I don't know how long that'll hold, but they still. Do you think lo- he should though? Because they have lost five nil and then they lost to Everton at home. They've That's lost. Not, they've not lost two. four in a row. They've won one and eleven. It's not good. It's not good. But, but do you think he should? Yeah, because 
I, I think the same the same things are, that have been true of, of of Forrest time in the Premier League are still true today in that he's 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 never been he's never had a settled team. Mm. He's never been allowed to have a settled team. They bought another thirteen players in the summer and that was that was seen as Forrest being sort of Prudent. Know, prudent, yeah, stepping back a little bit this time. And that took their spend to two hundred and fifty million uh since the, since they won promotion. Uh, like the number of players in total to over forty. So like he said he said last night, the one thing he he was completely you know, this is this is on me, blame me. He was he actually said he was embarrassed about the fans serenading him because he felt he didn't deserve it and the players didn't deserve it. And he held his hands up in front of the way end after at the end of the game. The one thing he said that kind of pointed to some sort of frustration was I've named a fifth captain of the season tonight. Like I don't want to be you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to I want to have a settled team. I don't want to be having to make all these changes all the time. Some of that's to do with injuries, some of that's to do with as I say, just a raft of players coming in, many of whom shouldn't be coming in in the first place. Uh and but last night was pretty pretty shocking in terms of like their discipline. They gave the ball away, gifted full in possession for the first two goals, and then they fell apart. Mm. And so from that point of view, I think it would be a minor miracle if he's if he's in charge. Well, as 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 we record this uh, podcast currently, Steve Cooper is still a Nottingham Forest <laughs> manager. But when you listen to it, he might not be. Um, we're going to end part uh, one there. If you've got any views on how much Declan Rice is worth, whether it's one million or a hundred million, uh, <laughs> I'm interested to hear them. Or if maybe if you're an Aston Villa fan who just wants to share your delight in their season so far, get in touch with me, Tom Clark at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, stick with us. We're talking about another manager who could be in trouble next, and Manchester United against Chelsea. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by Martin Samuel, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. Um, we ended part one talking about Steve Cooper and Nottingham Forest and we're going to start this section talking about Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson. A 2-0 home defeat to Bournemouth. Now, uh, in The Times offices, uh, the sports desk is located next to the business desk and the business editor is Richard Fletcher, who is a die-hard Crystal Palace fan and a season ticket holder. And so I asked his view on Hodgson and Palace before we came down. And he said as much as he is in the category of loyal Palace fan who remembers the bad times, really bad times, so he kind of sees staying in the Premier League as a as a good thing. Even he can now start to see it might not be the future with Roy Hodgson. He said the atmosphere at last night's game was toxic. There's no excitement, um, and it might be the you know the younger for it, uh, the younger Palace fans, sorry, uh, like his sons who want to see some change. Martin Roy Hodgson says the fans are spoilt. Uh, is he right? <laughs> You know what I'm going to say here. The uh, I think Roy is a, was a little bit spoiled. I think he was a little bit spoiled by last season's fixture list when he took over, um, because Pat Vieira had this run of games from hell uh, where he played everybody in the top half of the table and usually in the you know in the top six or seven and 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 some more than once in that little run. It was a it was a horrendous run of fixtures just before. Uh, he was removed for the, from the job. And then Roy came in, and if you looked at the fixture list, it was like the clouds parted and birds were chirping and everything burst into colour and bloom and everything because they didn't play a team worth a carrot. You still virtually. have to beat them. You still have to get still the results. Still got to beat them. I'm not saying that. And he 
got Eze Did back into West the team. Yeah, oh, quite. Yeah, last season I would. Yeah, most definitely, and probably this season. But, but um, I think West Ham were one of the teams that they were about to play. But West Ham weren't in the top half of the table last season. So um, he brought Eze back, which and, and oh, so, and surprise, surprise, the football gets better and everything gets better because the opposition has changed. This is a real season. Hmm. You know, th- this season, he's getting the, the matches that Patrick Vera had to play, plus he's getting the other matches as well. And surprise, surprise, it's it's not all, you know, rosy and, and flowers in bloom and everything. Um, and, you know, Roy is Roy. And Roy has a, a certain way of playing. And what Tony was talking about earlier, about how many teams play on the front foot. If you are a fan of one of those teams that aren't playing on the front foot, it can look a bit dull, really. I mean, West Ham versus Crystal Palace last Sunday, you know, that was the short straw. Mm. I got it. uh, Yeah, you got it, absolutely. (laughs) You know, everywhere you watch, the goals are flying in, teams are playing high lines, pressing this, you have a go, we'll have a go. Meanwhile... At West Ham versus Crystal Palace, it's tumbleweed. Yeah, and and if you're particularly this season, because strangely enough, where there's been this presumption that after about six weeks into the season, we all thought we knew the three teams going down. Now we might be completely wrong, but where there's this presumption that these three teams will go down, I think fans are not happy with, oh, well, you know, we just want to survive. It's like, look... You mean it's we a know, chance for yeah, us we to know you're throw not, off we, the we know we're not going down because these three teams are going down, so let's have a go. Let's yeah. have a bit of fun with it. Now, I realise manager and owner, they can't afford to think like that, but fans will think like that. Yeah. Fans will, you know, if you're, if you're a Crystal Palace fan, you are not going to be happy with just surviving this year because but, just surviving is... You know, the bottom, you know, it's what you would expect to do. But I think that's an interesting point about just surviving and Roy Hodgson because, and I know Gregor's got his uh, I told you so point coming up about how the future... uh, (laughs) um, But I do think, you know, Richard was saying these things about he remembers the more difficult times for the club. And I wonder whether, you know, the owners are looking at it and going, well... We can go for a Patrick Vieira. We can go more front foot, and then if it's not working, we'll end up going back to Roy Hodgson. So why don't we stick with Roy Hodgson and stay up? I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Tony. Do you think there's any merit in the idea that you know Palace stick as they are going forward? It's quite lazy, Tom, isn't it? It is lazy, but it's also safe. It's ensuring you're going to stay in the Premier League. Well, that's I've done a piece two, three years ago on Crystal Palace. It's like a redundant football club to me. They don't do much in the transfer market. What's their record by? 20-odd million? Benteke, maybe. Benteke, 20-odd million? I don't know. They didn't do a lot. Yeah. But, you know, I always look at Crystal Palace. But they, they would say they've not got I, the money to do a lot. I might be wrong here, but I feel like Steve Parrish, who runs the club... Oh, well, OK, he's not the owner, but he, he has a big say in the football club. Mm. He acts like the manager where he's playing safe as well. I mean, I don't know, is he on a... Staying up bonus, Steve Parrish, I don't know. Well, <laughs> is there not responsibility Parrish. to keep them in the league, though? Yeah. yeah. You know, yes, this is an eternal conflict for 10, mm. 12 teams in the Premier League. Exactly. I was listening to uh, Martin and I thought of Everton, for example, who have in, in the past mm. 10 years have made lots of yo-yos back and forth between the guy who's going to keep us in the Premier League and the guy uh, who's going to take us to the Champions League. Steve Parrish is pointing out very eloquently in, in columns in the Sunday Times, I think, 
like what it would mean to Palace financially to lose Premier League status. Palace particularly because they don't have much sort of additional revenue mm. like compared mm. to some other teams in the Premier League. So you can understand, I mean, you can understand their, their desire to survive in that, that level and maintain the, you know, the gravy ship or whatever. Uh, but it's not that long ago when Patrick Vieira came in, we were having a very different conversation about yeah. Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. We'd need to remember that. It's not we're talking about a club that had seemed to have a real connection to a part of South London that was quite it's quite rare in the sort of globalised mm. Premier League. Well, the man, the players they produce exactly yeah, like yeah. Tyrant Mitchell coming through. You know, although they sign Michael Lucy from from somewhere else, Eze from somewhere else, they're from South London. They're from that area. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're Wilfred Zaha. There was like there were players that, pe- that people could associate with. So, and then and you know Vieira came in. He represented something new and you know more youthful. Like. The, the, I understand why they turned away from that, but there's no reason to try to not for that not to be the goal. Because if what 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 we're learning is, it always comes back to if you're just surviving, if if survival is your aim, you've got to have something else. You've got to be entertained. You've got to mm. feel some association with the club or with what with what the style of play or whatever. And that's what Palace lost the moment they went back to Roy Hodgson. They took the survival over everything else. And when it starts to look shaky, then there's going to be trouble. We've got a, we've got a generation of football fans that we we are trying. And when I say we, um, like football clubs, football owners, and everything, mm. we we trying we're trying to get football as if it's a branch of accountancy. And this is this I've been making this point for years, and it comes back to financial fair play. It's not meant to be accountancy. It's meant to be for the amusement of the working class of this country. That's that's the sport. That's the sport. It's meant to amuse the working class of this country. It is not meant to be, all oh, we've come 14th. It's not meant to be, we put our reserve team out in the FA Cup because it's more important for us to creep into 16th place and guarantee another check next year rather than try to actually win the FA Cup. You know, it's meant to be for people's amusement it's in the entity if you if you float on the uh, stock market you'd be in the entertainment section do you think that still applies with modern fans who maybe as much as you know richard's talked about his sons going it's as maybe they're obviously wanting to watch palace but they're also by being in the premier league they're getting to see erling Haaland. they're getting to see kevin de bruyne well then that makes the united fans right didn't it come to see united you've only come to see united and i hate that song you know, I hate the arrogance of that song. Mm. Um, but, well, that makes the Manchester United fans right. If that's I'm, all, I'm not if, saying if, that if is right. I'm, for, I'm wondering whether no, that, is a part, that is a part to got, play. It's meant to be... It, 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 it's meant to be the... Uh, it's meant to be fun. Yeah. This is it, meant to be your Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Have a bit of fun. Have a go. Yeah. Try and win something. Try and get high up the table. The idea... If someone said... You know, this is your X amount for your season ticket. Oh, what are we trying to achieve this year? Well, we're, we're, we're aiming for a steady 16th and, yeah. uh, you know, anything else is a bonus. How many clubs... Why would you, why would you buy that season ticket? See, can I, Tom, can yeah, I just go. make a point here? Because we t- I talked earlier on about the way football is played. The laws of the game now are clearly given advantage to attacking teams. Okay, there is no no way at the present game. There was a period of time in football you could be solid defensively, give away nothing. The Mourinho style, Conte and others, you couldn't get through them. 
your defensive record was so good that that could enable you to have a chance to win the league. No chance in the modern game. The laws of the game with VAR and all the decision-making, you have to be in the opposition's half to get a lot of decisions that in inevitably give you chances to score goals. If you're the opposite, you're hanging on in games. And I don't think... This is where I have my problem. I think Roy's been a great manager. I remember doing this, uh, being on stage with him and he refused to take any question about England. He was really spiky about England. And I found that really weird. It's like... You left the England job like two years ago. You, you know, just give some feedback mm -hmm. of some of the refuse, literally cut, cut, cut off the question. Then he was like that with Liverpool. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I remember thinking about Liverpool and the way it ended Liverpool. And he, he really didn't like questions where he's a bit like his age. If you ask Roy's age, it's like a question you think like you're insulting him. It's not. It's, it's to me, it's like one thing that Roy is failing on in that thinking is that I don't believe you can win enough points by playing a bland, um, unentertaining way of playing. Do you think this season then, to maybe play the counter-argument to your point, Martin, about fans going, well, we know who three, which three are going to go down, is there then a counter-argument to say, well, let's make sure we just stay in this season? Because if you're saying, Tony, that they're not going to get yeah, enough points, but they will. I don't think they'll get relegated. No, no. I don't. But so that then, wait till the end of the season and then say... We'll we'll find the next Patrick Vieira point. Is there an American? Yeah, that? but why did they give him the job in the summer? Well, there'll be no point going back. We've, they've done it now. I'm I'm asking going well, that's forward. That's a valid point. I'm if ask, we couldn't do it next summer, forward. then why 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 did the summer just gone? Because uh, to my point earlier, that they were they were worried that oh you'll you'll end up going back to him anyway in March when you've. So sat, is that just an eternal cycle? Sat. It could be, but I'm I'm asking if you're going to move forward as you guys are advocating, is there any merit in Hodgson staying longer than? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not saying Hodgson should be, should be sacked. I don't. I don't. No, I, I don't very, think, I've never yeah, ever very rarely you know, advocate it's, that. It's just that. It's just that I, I said at the time it, there was no logic in in apart from survival. Yeah. In appointing them in the summer, and what they need to be doing is thinking about what comes next. Is there is there similar issues here with a manager like David Moyes, Martin, Absolutely. for example, at West Ham, where. You know, it's a very different thing, obviously. Very, it is, it, it, but it's, it's but it's a similar issue in that yeah. fans wrote, are looking at it and going, "We want a bit more from I, this." I wrote about it in the week. I wrote about you know because it's Tottenham versus West Ham tonight. This is Thursday morning. It's Tottenham versus West Ham tonight, and, and I wrote about this juxtaposition of of Ange Postecoglou and how enthusiastic everyone is uh, around him, particularly at Tottenham at the moment, and he's on a on the back of uh, it was on the back of a, a poor run I mean which ended at, um, with the result of Manchester City I've never known anyone lose matches and get so much praise uh, as Ange does and everyone at the Tottenham Stadium will be absolutely all, all for him um, this evening David Moyes now if you're a West Ham fan and you win at Tottenham you don't really care how it how it happens. I'm not saying everyone's sitting there with going, oh, we need to be balancing the ball on our noses when we score. You know, it, 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 they'll take it whichever whichever way West Ham could get could get a result. But David Moyes is in the last year of his contract, and all of the shock and surprise that he hasn't yet been offered a new contract at West Ham is invariably from people who aren't fans of West Ham. Mm -hmm. who look at it and go you won your first trophy in 40 odd years you know he's got you the top half of the table lost Declan Rice you know lost Declan Rice and has replaced him very well what's the fuss about whereas if you talk to West Ham fans 
you almost get the sense it's like that last Sam Allardyce season where they were never going to never going to sack the man but it just drifted and drifted and drifted and at the end his contract was at an end and they said thanks very much you know fair exchange no robbery and you know off you go and you can almost see the same thing happening at West Ham where at the end of the season they just say thanks very much for everything David you brought and the fans wouldn't be sitting there going how have we lost this Mm. manager now they they might do the following season if they ended up getting relegated or whatever it would then become oh how did we lose this manager (laughs) But at the moment, it's, they, you know, fans can see there's more exciting things going on up the road. That's, that's the whole point I'm trying to make. There's a few teams this season where exciting things are happening. Even Bournemouth, who looked like they could win a game. Well, I was going to come on Suddenly, to them, yeah. that guy, uh, the, you know, is looking like, yeah. oh, he's actually... Found their feet. He found their feet. He was Beelzer's, Beelzer's man, wasn't he? He, was, he, was, he played under him, yeah. Yeah, he was Beelzer's guy. And, you know, suddenly, oh, look, oh, look Bournemouth are having a go. Yeah. Um, this is what also, Brighton and Brentford have done. But also, you would add, if you asked Bournemouth fans when they were on the losing run, who were actually watching all the games, they would say it. You know what? We've actually been doing all right. Yeah, just yeah. been a nip and Well, tuck. I think you said it about a couple of, about, about six weeks ago. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Their, their performances didn't justify the losses that they're having. Mm. Yeah. So coming on to Bournemouth then, and, and don't eat a look. Tony's right, Gregor. You did say a few weeks ago, and mm. I think it was after they lost six-one against Manchester City, and you start going again. We were looking for the where's the first mm. sacking going to be. Uh, since then, they've beaten Newcastle, uh, Sheffield United, drawn with the mighty Aston Villa, and now beaten Palace as well. Is this a kind of reward for some of the things that not only you were talking about, but also the chaps were talking about, where of a style of play, give it time, you get the reward in the end? Yeah, you don't always get the rewards. That's the, no. that's the, that's the risk inherent with this. So, and like, we can still look at the, their decision to part company with Gary O'Neill, who's, who plays a like a slightly different. It's not always front foot, but it's it's really smart football, mm-hmm. and we we all enjoy watching Wolves now. Good manager. You can still think that was a harsh decision, but you see the you see why they they made it now. Mm. You see that you, because of the whole everything we've been discussing. It's about seeing something more, seeing a team that's not just going to try and survive every year, who wants to really compete. And the best way to compete is by playing this kind of football that the best teams in Europe and the elite teams do and that's that's a fact like you, you only appoint some some of the guys we've been talking about in a crisis now no one no one appoints these guys with an eye on the future they appoint them for the here and now but the problem is the future always comes back round yeah see what's so incredible is that we you know we always look at players and teams of having the best in the you know the premier league so strong in many many ways but boy, the Premier League standard of manager is extraordinary. The mm, versatility of so many managers mm. that can come into clubs and you go, whether it's Brentford, whether it's Brighton, whether it's Bournemouth and others, you're seeing this style. I think we're blessed with amazing styles of managers. We're not one-dimensional, which for a long period, you yeah, know, pretty much one-dimensional. He mm. managers, the type of managers, mm. not now. Yeah. Mm. Well, and, and the thing is, look, if you had 20 teams that wanted to play on the front foot, <laughs> yeah. three of them would have to go down at the end of the season. I mean, uh, you know, that, that's, you know, in the end, yeah, yeah. 17 of them would be better at it than three yeah. of them, and those three would go down, and everyone could be trying to play the most wonderful football. It's like, you know, when when suddenly everyone discovered that they all 
at pasta in, in Italy before matches and <laughs> drunk water and no one went out. Of, you know, there was no equivalent of the... Smoked cigarettes yeah, as well. Yeah, and there was no, like, Tuesday <laughs> nightclub for AC Milan where everyone went out, went out and drunk 42 pints. Um, but nonetheless, there were 18 teams or 20 teams or whatever, 22, I think there was at one stage, in, in, in CER, and... You know, two or three of them had to go down at the end of the season. That's, yeah. that, you know, that, and they were still eating the pasta and drinking <laughs> the water, but they were just weren't good at the old as good at the old football. But um, <laughs> so, so in the end, that that is going to matter, no matter how exciting everyone wants to be. I just think that it it's an interesting thing. There's the there's the sort of end of the journey. There's your destination point, which one might argue West Ham got to. Mm-hmm. last season with well, by actually winning a trophy and then there's the journey and it's in it's that was sort of what I was writing about in the week how happy or otherwise fans are now with the journey that they almost mm. want the journey you know the end is not necessarily the well, it might be the end all. Yeah, we might then we might get to first, you, you hardly actually, ever get to the destination either yeah you, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely that's a, but if you look at Ange he might win Nothing, yeah. Tottenham, but they're very happy at the yeah. moment. Just with it, he's got knocked out of the one, the one cup they've played in so far. They've got knocked out of, but people are still happy with the journey, yeah. Because the football's good and there's a lot of excitement. And even when they get beat four-one at home by Chelsea, they still come away feeling good about their football team. Well, we're talking about journeys and destinations and lots of chat about identity. So it's only right that we uh, finish at Old Trafford and two teams that perhaps are still searching for identity. Are we allowed to do that, or will someone phone up and ban the podcast? Yeah, well, potentially. Who knows? Uh, but um, we, yeah, Manchester United getting a good win. It's a good win. Isn't it's a it? good win. Home win. But we're going to start with Chelsea because I want to start with Chelsea because it feels like to me, and we've spoken about them on podcasts in the last month or so, very excited uh, taking on teams like Manchester City and things. Uh, are they kind of the team that takes a few steps forward and then a big jump backwards, Martin? But Chelsea? Yeah. That last night, and I'm sorry because, you know, it, it looks as if I'm you know, trying to sort of do down Manchester United's performance, which was, which was good. It wasn't bad at all. But, you have got to look at that in the context of Chelsea. I haven't seen a, a, a Chelsea team as bad as that for a long, long time. And I'm really racking my brains. I'm thinking of Graham Potter's time. I'm I'm going back to the end of Roberto Di Matteo. I was going to say my Chelsea the team. End of Scolari, <laughs> the end you know, Scolari and all of this sort of, all of these managers. I've never seen a... a a good team. So, so we say an elite team, a, a team with with. Um, yeah. So you're saying there's good players and they played really pretensions badly. Pretensions to uh, be a member of a, a super league not so long ago. I've never seen a team give the ball away so much. It was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they couldn't work their way through Manchester United's high press. And when you're talking about high presses, it's not the most foolproof one as we've seen this season, Manchester United. And Chelsea just kept passing the ball to them, passing the ball to them all the time. I, I, I couldn't understand it. I, I really couldn't. I was watching it last night. And the amount of times you're just looking at it, I think, what are you, what are you doing? I, I don't know. You know, up until this point, I've been one of those sort of, Pochettino will get this right, he'll get this right, he'll turn this round or whatever. And then suddenly you're looking at them last night and thinking, it's been a few months now. They shouldn't look as bad as that. Mm. They really shouldn't look as bad as that. Tony, how do you respond to that, your former club? And also, you were very excited about the performance against City on this podcast, talking mm. about it. How do you feel about Martin's well, assessment there? 
it's been really their season in a nutshell because Chelsea haven't done one 90 minutes performance in any game. Yeah, I would agree with that. They just can't get near a 90 minute performance. Even a 60 minute is at best. They opening game of the season, remember the game like, you know, Liverpool, terrific in the second half, terrible in the first. Why is that? Is that Pochettino? Is it the well, players? I, I never Focus? Like, I'm always fitness? a bit. No, I would always. Their business, which was, I think, was a, it was a good idea of buying a lot of players were young, obviously potential to a degree. Uh, the, no, I mean it's a good idea. That, that ex- exhalation that you heard there was uh, was Gregor <laughs> Robinson. Yes, no, no. I, I'm trying to explain what I meant. The idea of bringing in players for certain amounts of money that their contracts are longer and there there is a long term plan. The problem is you buy way too many of them and then you bring them into a club where. The money's been spent already. I mean, some of their ins and outs were a bit hard to understand. Um, and I thought the idea was good, but like some ideas, it can be terrible in practice, can't it? Yeah. And that's what it's been. It's just backfired in every shape or form. I don't see... I mean, Reese James has struggled, but he's been injured. He's mm. struggled since he's come back. I mean, I don't see Corwell as a... Uh, I don't see him as a top player. I think he's still not ready to be in a Chelsea back four. Thiago Silva's 39 years old. You know, I think there's a lot of question marks about their midfield. It's a decent midfield. It's not top four midfield. Hmm. Conor Gallagher, um, as you said earlier, Caicedo, and then you've got Fernandes. They've all got qualities, but they don't look a good three where Hmm. they complement each other. So it's, it's really strange how... Chelsea are just like a bit part-team to me. And are they going to have to go through... I mean, we're talking about managers and sackings and things. If if this season carries on as it is and they end up in the kind of 8th to 10th bracket, does Poch survive that? He can't. You, you don't think he can? I, no, I don't. I don't... Not I don't think the, the way they've bought the club, before. the way they've spent and the amount of people they brought in and they've well, stripped maybe that the would, club... Maybe that would surely let, like cause them to look at themselves instead. Oh, I've got, but, but Gregor, when do people look at themselves? Owners. <laughs> well, but when you're sacking, your, you're onto sacking your third when, manager. No, but how many owners literally go? Do you know what? I'm, I might have made it, but I don't. I don't have to suffer the consequence for this. That the club has got a lot wrong. I mean, I look I at I their even, bench last night. Look at their bench, right? Castledean, Matos, Gilchrist, De Souza, Eugenio, Petrovic. I know Matson, but he came through the academy. Mm. James Broja also came through the academy. Badia Shili. Who are these people? Like mm. Chelsea have spent a bill. I sound like a broken record, as I know. They spent a billion pounds, and this is what they have. It's your point, though, Gregor, isn't it? That they've spent all of this money shipping out experience and replacing them with. A billion potential. pound, a billion pound punt with potential. Yeah, really, yeah. A well, no, but I'm trying punt. to make that point about potential. Is it's a, a good idea to a degree, but you can't do it in such a grand scale. No, that's that's the difference. That was the point I was trying to make. But just the the, the the fundamental notion that Pochettino has a you know this this galaxy of stars that just need to be sort of aligned properly. I I, I just fundamentally disagree with that. I don't think they. So you ju- think then, to my point, that if it, if they finish tenth at the end of the season, that's probably about fair, and he should keep his job. <sighs> I mean, it's stretching it a little bit there, but I don't think that this team is good enough to be in the top four. Hmm. So top I, six. Yeah, of course, Chelsea should be competing for that, and they, yeah. it's not a mile away from like an Aston Villa or like uh, I don't know Brighton, last whoever. Night, they won't be a top sixteen. Uh, I was just about to say that last night, 
that performance. And it's the first time, I, you know, I've seen other games with Chelsea where you think, if they could just finish, they wouldn't be a bad team. You know, but last night I was I was very worried. I mean, you know, for them because Manchester United are a very random team. We all know that. Mm. You know, you keep thinking, oh, well, they've turned the corner, they've turned, oh, they're two them up here. This is fantastic, and then then it comes back. But last night, Manchester United didn't look as if they were the team in trouble. No, you know, and and my only, you know, nothing against Manchester United. It's just one of those performances mm. where. Chelsea were actually, you know, very poor. They, man, you were playing Bournemouth at the weekend. Yeah. I think they'll probably get more of a game out of Bournemouth. That'll be a yeah. better. That'll be a almost a better test is for them to play a Bournemouth team that's actually on the up than than Chelsea last night because Chelsea just kept giving them the ball. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that idea. I just want to say at one point. I know the club's in trouble. Mm. Right. Every year, first week of Christmas, every ex-player gets a hamper from Chelsea. <laughs> I haven't received it this year. <laughs> and nor has any other player yet. Oh, I've got you. I know the club's in trouble. We'll get you. Know? We'll, co- we'll know? cobble together. What, you, we'll what you do you normally get? Hamper. We get hamper with cheeses and wine and all bits. But every ex-player gets it. Is it like branded? Is it got Chelsea stuff badges on no, it? No, it's only branded by the, the shop they get it from. Any any I can't players? remember which one. Mason's. Any um, of the other players got it? Have you spoken to them? No. no one's. No one's. I know ex-Chelsea players got it, but I know that they do that every year. For is, there a, is there a cut-off? Like once you've not played for them, but like you know, well, I'm still long... getting it. My last game was in '94. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. Maybe you're approaching the kind of like 20. Well, maybe, but, but I do know a number of ex-Chelsea players. No hampers have been handed out. Well, let's move on to whether there'll be any hampers handed out at Manchester United. Let's finish with but Manchester United. Because oh, uh, I do think there's reasons to be positive. Greg, I remember we were asking about, I was asking challenging questions about who's going to finish in the top four. And you ventured that it might even be Manchester United. And actually, you're not looking too bad for that prediction. They're only three points off Manchester City in fourth now. Um, good couple of performances and good results as much as I agree with you Martin Chelsea were poor United still created a hell of a lot of chances they mm. probably could have won four, five you know again yeah I mean Montgomery uh, I think had six yeah he? he could have had a hat trick yeah. at least yeah. um, Hoyland looked quite bright um, Anana made a very good save come on come on he looked good I thought I think I heard I'm not. I'm not sure. Brian right. Well, if you're not going to performance <laughs> last night, if I you're mean, not going to be nice about him, I'm going to move no, on to someone no, else. Harry sorry, Maguire. I thought, Harry Maguire. I thought Ganacho, um you, mm. made his presence felt. I even thought Anthony. I, I, I wasn't noticing Hoyland greatly. No. Fair enough. That's fine. I just think he's a good. I think he's a good player who's just shy of a few he's goals in the league. Stuff. Uh, <laughs> finishing then, Greg. I was just about to speak a bit XG there. Fin- I'm not going to bother no more. <laughs> <laughs> finishing on Harry Maguire. Uh, eight out of ten in the ratings on the Times website. Another good performance for my best mate. Who you? <laughs> All right, so now you want to continue, take me continue, out as well. Continually, <laughs> you slag off. But it's it, it, the, that's the, great to the, see. The recovery continues to be quite impressive, doesn't it? In terms of his career, absolutely. I mean, Harry Maguire playing anywhere near as well as Harry Maguire can play is a good thing for Manchester United as is Luke Shaw's return mm. he just looked like he's, you know there's a bit of balance now in the back four yeah. which they've missed for a long time absolutely mm. so like, the same is true of, of, of Chelsea to, to an extent we've talked about you know they've had a lot of injuries but everyone has injuries and if you spend a billion quid you should imagine that you can mm. be able to cope with them uh, United are you know starting to get uh, one or two back and as you say Maguire is, is has been important in recent weeks, um, but twenty eight shots, thirteen on target. That's that's quite that's rare for Manchester United of late. Uh, and I'm going to mention XG. It was over four, which 
it's mm. unheard of. So, uh, lots of opportunities, and it probably should have been more. Yeah. Do you know before the game, Chelsea were favourites at Old Trafford? Oh, were they? Well, start, what, with the bookies? They were favourites well, to win well, last night. That would night. be on the back of. Chelsea's what? performance against Brighton and Man United no against Newcastle the rest of the season. No, I know. That's just, but this is the thing: you've got two clubs there, haven't you? That are extraordinarily random. Yeah, both yeah, of them, Because yeah. we're now talking about Manchester United as oh, this this could be the uh, another yeah, corner yeah. turned. Yeah. I would have thought if we, we'd have all gathered for this uh, podcast on Monday, it would have been, what the hell's wrong with Manchester United? <laughs> yeah. because, well, of, no. because of the Newcastle performance. So Martin, the man, I call, called out the manager for his line-up at uh, uh, St. James's Park mm. the weekend mm. because mm. he'd made... I, Regulon wasn't in the team. He bought him as a loan sign. Mm. Amrabat. He then had, um, obviously, Marcel down the middle. Mm. You know... And I remember looking at his team and thinking, he's got Luke Shaw and he's left out Varane, he's left out Lindelof, two centre-halves who are left, you know, and then plays Dolo left-back. And I remember thinking, you've got enough players in every position just to select a very trusted side. Mm. You've got flair in there anyway. Ganacho can be a flair player yeah, for you. Yeah, totally. And I was, I was astonished by the line-up at St James's Park from a manager that you could see. Could, oh, if you're an international player like Varane or Lindelof or whoever and you're sitting there and you're going... I've got a left back in front of me as a centre half. Mm. Now that's only one position. You've probably got Anthony thinking. But he had played in that position before, Luke Shaw, hadn't he? Yeah, he has. But, well. but it's not. It's not. You're, if you're thinking of the mentality of a player, if you're sitting, there, it's a bit like we started the conversation with Calvin Phillips. If you're sitting there and you're seeing everybody else in there, and you're a natural midfielder or a natural centre half, and you're not in the team, you're going to cause problems within the group. And I think he played around a hell of a lot of St James's Park with his lineup. He might say. I had a game against Chelsea in midweek, so I decided to rotate. But I, I don't buy into that. No. They, they have got Greg. Gregor mentioned Chelsea and the not to look at their bench. You look at Man United's bench at the weekend at Newcastle. That is one hell of a bench. Yeah. Well, we'll see what Manchester United can produce. We're very, very close listeners there to ending with some positives about Manchester United, which there were. There were some no, in there. There were. Mm. There were. Uh, we will see this time next week because uh, next Tuesday they are home to Bayern Munich after the home game against Bournemouth. So if you can get two wins there, I'm sure we'll be incredibly positive about you. Bye. Then, uh, Gregor Robertson, Tony Cascarino, Martin Samuel, thank you very, very much for joining me. And thank you too for listening. As I say, we'll be back on Monday when I'm sure, as well as Manchester United, we will definitely be talking about Arsenal against Aston Villa. Thanks for listening. Thank you.